and you've survived. At least I think you have. It's been great to be with you and really um, enjoyed being part of um, what's been going on here. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing all more about what goes on in the future and hopefully remain in relationship um, with both you, the church, and with uh, Jeff as he comes to, um, comes to serve you and lead you. So I wanted to look at the last um, part of the four conditions of living in the new covenant this morning, and we find that in Revelation chapter 7. The first three that we looked at were the new covenant church is seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Secondly, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Thirdly, when we embrace God's grace, everything of bondage is removed. And fourthly, we're going to look at today the receiving of the living seal. So if you wish to turn to Revelation chapter 7, and we'll start reading at verse 1. And I will be reading out the New Living Translation. Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. And I saw an angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, Wait! Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. From Judah, 12,000. From Reuben, 12,000. From Gad, 12,000. From Asher, 12,000. From Naphtali, 12,000. From Manasseh, 12,000. From Simeon, 12,000 from Levi, 12,000, from Issachar, 12,000, from Zebulun, 12,000, from Joseph, 12,000, and from Benjamin, 12,000. After I saw this vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshipped God. We sang, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are those who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun, for the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. So, chapter 7. In verse 1, we see four angels 
standing in the four corners of the earth, preventing the wind from blowing. Now, wind in Scripture is used in connection with either the coming of God or the action of his angels in either blessing or cursing. And there are many references to this throughout both the Old and the New Testament. The wind in the vision is being prevented from blowing, or in other words, there was a gap between the opening of the sixth and the seventh seals. There was a gap there. And the angels were preventing the judgment coming upon the church, as in the people of God, the Israeli people, to allow the true church to come out of apostate Israel. When Jesus talks about the end times, he gives clear instructions how to avoid the coming tribulation in Matthew 24, in Mark 13. Um, there had to be some fulfillment of all those signs. And Jesus had promised the days of trouble would be shortened for the sake of the elect. Jerusalem would be surrounded by armies and would receive the judgment of desolation that Jesus had spoken about in the Gospels. This was to be the last act of the Old Covenant, which was to remove the Old Covenant witness, the removal of the old generation of apostasy. The former generation was to die in the wilderness and the church was to enter the promised land. The angels in the vision held back the winds for 40 years between the resurrection of Christ and the destruction of Jerusalem. During that time, God was calling out the righteous to receive the terms of the new covenant made living. That's why I believe that the tribulation is actually something that's already happened and it's not something that is coming in the future. There's definite timelines. The angel is seen to come from the east, symbolizing a new beginning. The sun rises in the east, a new day begins in the east. The angel was bringing life to the kingdom, the life of the kingdom of heaven, the water of life, the rivers of living water that would flow from the true temple of God and bring everlasting life. The judgment could not come upon the apostates until all were given the full opportunity to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. Those who accepted Christ received the seal on their forehead as a protection from God's wrath. 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel were sealed at the end of the Jewish age. Was not come, and, sorry, the end of the Jewish age was not to come until through the ministry of the Jewish Christian apostles and prophets, the gospel of the kingdom had been preached to the whole world. Now, interestingly, again here, we see a different world used for world, a different Greek word. It's a komini, <laughs> I have trouble with the, uh, Ocumeni. Now that means occupied world. So it's not the world as we see it. It's not the world as we know it today. It would have been the occupied world of the time, the world occupied by the Jewish people. I believe that this word was used here because it referred to the land inhabited by them and the then called covenant people of God. See, we have a different worldview. We know the world as being very different to the time that this was written. The world, when this was written, was a much, much smaller place. The 144,000 
We're sealed with the seal of God. We're sealed into the new covenant. Their minds and hearts having been renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's often been arguments and discussions and various ideas come up about what the significance of the 144,000 is. If you speak to Jehovah's Witnesses, they say there's only 144,000 going to heaven. I feel sorry for all those that have come along since then. But here's my thinking. I believe the number of God's government is 12. 12 tribes, 12 apostles. And that this government was the foundation, in the foundation of the new covenant church, sent to the world with the good news. The number of thousand is a biblical number for a military division. It's numerically perfect army of soldiers of God. Twelve by twelve, I believe, represents twofold witness of the protecting government of God and his eternal covenant of grace. So therefore, those who were sealed by the seal of God represent the foundation of the eternal covenant of grace in the church that was and is and is to come. The true Israel endures, and the covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not jeopardized at all. The true Israel being those that were sealed with the seal of the new covenant. And the destruction and the fall of Jerusalem was necessary for the faithful remnant, the false being destroyed and replaced by the testimony of the overcoming grace of Christ. Now, what's interesting here, too, is that as we read the 12 tribes, there is one particular one that's not there and has been replaced by another one. Does anybody know what it is? Come on, I'm going to test your biblical knowledge here. I know because I've got it written down here, but... The tribe of Dan. Okay, the tribe of Dan is not mentioned in the 12 tribes in the New Covenant. Do you know what Dan means? Okay, Dan means judgment. So it's interesting that in the list of the 12 tribes in, the new, in Revelation here of the New Covenant, Dan is missed out and replaced by... Anybody know? There you go. Good Bible scholar down here. <laughs> it's replaced by Manasseh. Does anybody know what Manasseh means? It means to forget, which implies forgiveness. So here we have the new covenant being formed, the new covenant, the beginning of the new covenant, those sealed in the new covenant, and God is replacing judgment with Forgiveness, or if you want to be accurate, forgetful. So he forgets, he forgives the sins. I believe the new covenant is a picture, not of judgment, as we've talked about many times in my time here, but of forgiveness and grace. Judgment has been replaced by forgiveness. And this was sealed into the thinking of the new, of the redeemed of the new Christ followers. No one anymore is to be regarded according to the flesh. We've talked about this before. See, we look on people. I had an interesting conversation with my son on Facebook this morning. 
about judgment and about an angry God. And, you know, we look on people and we'll see them and we regard them according to the flesh. Therefore, we judge them according to the flesh. We judge them by their actions. And I believe what's, what is being said here is that the judgment is being replaced by forgiveness. Grace should be our place of starting. Grace should be our place of beginning. And instead of, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5.16. The testimony of the heart and mind of all who are in Christ should be one of seeing others as Christ sees them. Seeing others as Christ sees them. Christ sees them as he died on the cross. He hung on the cross for the world. I'm not convinced I serve an angry God. I'm convinced I serve a God of grace, of love, and of forgiveness. I'm not convinced I serve a God who looks upon us in the flesh, but he looks upon us from the heart. He despises the sin that causes us to do the things that we do. He weeps for those that are sinning but I'm not convinced I serve an angry, judgmental God. I believe judgment has been replaced by forgiveness. That judgment was replaced by forgiveness on the cross because Jesus Christ took our punishment. But it wasn't just you and me, it was for the whole world. He took his punishment on, the, on his shoulders for the whole world. And he hung there and he said, it is finished. After the remnant is called out in this vision, a vast crowd is seen of all nations, tribes, peoples, confessing the testimony of Christ and the salvation he brings. The bringing of the new covenant is established an effective witness for all people to come to salvation in Christ. And this salvation is ever-increasing and is established as coming from God, not the people of Israel. It's coming from God. It doesn't come from religious work. It doesn't come from good works. It's coming from God through Christ. The church which was established made every tribe, tongue, people, and nation was to be built upon the foundation of the prophets and apostles, as in Ephesians 2. This revelation of Jesus is not a disconnect from the prophets, but rather a furtherance. It's not a disconnect from the old, it's a furtherance. It's interesting to note there's lots of connections. I don't know whether any of you have looked at this, that there are paralleled in the Old and the New Testaments. Pharaoh's killing of the infants, for example, is paralleled by Herod's killing of the infants. Jesus came for the redemption of Israel. The infant of Christ is referred to as the true Israel coming out of Egypt. Israel's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness was paralleled by the 40 days success of Jesus in the desert. The testimony of the first fruit of the church empowered by God's overcoming grace, of, of God's overcoming grace. You know, Jesus sent out 70 in Luke just as Moses gathered 70 in Numbers. 
I think there's connection here going on. The destruction of the cities in Canaan is seen, is as seen in the destruction of apostate Israel. The revelation of Jesus is not a disconnect from the prophets of the past, but rather a furtherance. You know, there can be no compromise between faith and apostasy. God's grace will remove all the things that are not of faith in our lives and in the generations to come. The removal of the apostasy in Israel was made possible by the first fruits of the new covenant generation who lived and gave their lives to please the Father. We sang that this morning. We live and give our lives to you. It's a principle for the church that was, is, and is to come in all future generations. This application in their lives is as true for us today as it was when we embrace grace. Our focus then becomes the well-being of others and not ourselves. When we embrace grace, we will live for the King. And as our hearts and minds are renewed, we are receiving that change that empowers us to live for the Father. And we sung that song today. Did we sing it just as words? Or did we sing it from here? Did we really sing and mean what we sing, sang? We have received the seal of the living God And that seal is the authority and presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts who cries, Abba, Father. The true Israel has been set with a foundation of those who have come out of the tribulation. Verse 14. This is the testimony of the overcoming church in the generation to come. So what does it mean for us here today? The new covenant is a now covenant. It is today, now. It's not something of the past. It's not something of the past that we live in. To live in the new covenant, we must receive the seal, the seal of Christ in our lives. This is not a covenant that we can receive by striving. It's not a covenant we can receive by doing good works. It's not a covenant we can receive by trying to be as good a person as we possibly can. It's a covenant we simply receive by grace. It's a covenant we receive through Christ. We've said before, you know, we can be doing all the good works that we want. We can make ourselves feel good by doing all these good things. But I want to say something that in God's eyes it doesn't make a jot of difference because he wants to see this. It doesn't set us apart from those people out in, in every town, city, and, and corner of this world who are doing good things. What sets us apart is our relationship with Christ in our hearts. The seal of God in the new covenant. We must hold on to Jesus as a righteousness, not the things that we do. We cannot attain righteousness. We cannot attain holiness. 
Holiness is given to us through Jesus. Jesus makes us holy. His righteousness in our hearts. We cannot do that in our own strength. You know, we're not born to be right. And that may come as a bit of a shock to some of us. We're born to be loved by God. You know, for many years, I wanted everybody to, under, to follow my thinking because I thought I had the truth. I thought I had the right theology. And the more that I've come along this journey, the more I've realized the little I do know. But that's a good place to be. You see, we all approach this, this Bible, we all approach it from different angles. And it will depend very much on where our upbringing has come from. You can hand a Bible to a conservative Christian, ultra-conservative Christian, and he will look at a verse, and you can hand the same verse to an ultra-charismatic or grace Christian, and they will give you two different, entirely different interpretations. Who's to say who's right? All I know is that I serve a God of grace. A God of grace. A God of forgiveness. Before, I would have argued my point back, four, back, four, back, four, back, four, and got nowhere. Today, I accept that people have different opinions to me, and that's okay. That's okay. Crumbs, if everybody thought the way I did and everybody was the same as me, we'd be in a real bunch of trouble. But I do know this. And I will argue this to the hilt that we serve a God of grace. Jesus came to fulfill the old covenant law. We were not born to be right. We were born to be loved by a Father God. That our hearts would cry, Abba, Father, a term of affection and endearment. Next, to live in the new covenant, we must receive the power of his grace in our lives. This, in turn, will remove the lifeless things in our lives. It will remove the false and give way to the truth in the fullness of his grace. You see, his grace overcomes all. His grace overcomes all the stuff that we go through in our lives. We're very good at judging ourselves sometimes as Christians. We're very good at looking in the things that we do wrong rather than understanding that God's grace has covered them all. That's, that was sealed the day Jesus died on the cross. The problem is when we start to judge the things we do, we end up on this downward cycle because we're never going to be good enough. We're never going to be good enough. And we keep judging ourselves and keep thinking we're, we're this horrible, weasley little worm. And I've heard this preached, that we're all wormly, measly little sinners, only saved by the grace of God. And that might, in some views, be okay, but we're not. We're saved by grace. We're God's children, saved by grace. 
We're daughters and sons of the living God. And when we understand His grace in our lives, when we allow the power of His grace to overcome our lives, we will understand that it removes the false in our lives. It removes the bad. You see, I'm not saying that we should just go and live as we want to, because when we understand and know the power of God's grace living and working in our lives, we cannot live the way we want to. Because His grace welling up inside of us empowers us to live the life that God wants us to live. To live the life of a son or a daughter. When we understand the power of His grace working in our lives, we understand that the Father's love for us is more than we can ever comprehend. And I say again, it doesn't matter what we do with our lives. It doesn't change the way God feels about you. But I'll add an addendum to that right now. Because it's as we understand His grace and the power of His grace living and working in our lives that our lives cannot help but be transformed. And therefore, the good works that come out of that aren't coming out of this head knowledge that says, I must do better, I must try and work harder at being good, I must try and do good things and not bad things. It's coming out of the power of grace working in us to transform our lives through His power and through His Holy Spirit. So no, we can't go on living the way that we've always lived. We can't go on living in the things that we used to do because God's grace will not let us do it. His power working in us will not let us do it. I don't know about you, but I know when I first became a Christian, I became very, very aware of the sin in my life, all very, very aware of the things that I shouldn't be doing. Did it stop me doing them? No, it didn't. But I became aware of them. And gradually, as I let God's power work in my life, that grace and that power overcame those things. And please hear me, I'm not saying I'm standing here perfect today. I'm far from it. But I know I'm on a journey, and I know that God's grace is sufficient for me. I know that God's grace covers my sin. I know that God's grace empowers me to live like a son of the living God. It's not about our head telling us that we should be doing good things. It's about allowing the power of God and the grace, His grace to work in us and through us. To live in the new covenant, we must receive the power of His grace. And this, in turn, removes the lifeless, lifeless things in our lives. His grace was poured out for you and for me and for generations to come. It's all about His grace, His empowering grace, enabling us to live for the Father and for His glory here on earth. See, I don't believe that, and this is just a personal opinion, and I, but I don't believe that God looks down on the earth today and is angry. I don't believe He looks down on the earth today and points the finger 
and says, I'm going to destroy that. What I believe is he looks down on the earth today with tears in his eyes, weeping for the people, his creation, who perpetrate such horrible things in this world. You see, if we judge it just by the flesh, we will look at these and we will grade them. Oh, this one's, this one's way up here. But this one, this one's okay. I don't believe God looks in it like that at all. I believe God looks at it as a whole. And rather than being the angry God that we sometimes envision up there in the clouds with a white beard and white hair, I believe he's looking down on his earth, on his creation, and he is hurting. He is weeping. And he's stretching out his hand and saying, come, I'm waiting for you to come. If we see God as an angry God, we will judge ourselves every day of the week, every minute of every day. because we'll be waiting for his punishment. But if we see God as a God of grace, then that gives us the ability to love on him and allow his love to be in us. My prayer for you as you continue in your journey is that you will be a people full of grace, full of mercy, full of forgiveness, we all need it. If you want to continue reading in the next few chapters of Revelation, chapters 8 through 14 reveal the blessings of entering into the new covenant and the curses for those not accepting the terms of the new covenant. I come to the end of my time here um, today. Uh, I appreciate your openness and your hearts. I've had some great questions and great discussions with some of you. And I'm always open to that. And I, I hope I see you again sometime. Um, but I, my prayer is that you give Jeff and his family the grace, the grace to lead, the grace to lead you where he feels that God is taking you. Give him that grace. Love on him and his family because they've moved across Canada and boy, I know what that's like. I'm further from Toronto here than Toronto is from London. Did you know that? Incredible. So I pray blessing on you. Thank you for your openness and willingness to have a mad Scotsman come and minister to you for the last six months. My language may have <laughs> confused you at times. I believe when I talked about a cigarette the other week, it confused a few people. But hey, you know... <laughs> I didn't use the word I used then, okay? <laughs> but I've enjoyed my time and, and I've really been blessed by it and um, appreciate your willingness and openness to receive me into your um, congregation as you have. So God bless you. And uh, well, we, will, we, we will be continuing to pray for you as the next journey in your lives opens up before you. God bless.